Hi, welcome. Thanks for joining us again today. I don't know about you, but I'm a lover of the parables of Jesus. These simple stories that are more than statements. They're not proverbs. Proverbs are statements of wisdom. But a parable is a simple story used to illustrate a profound truth. Often Jesus would tell these parables, these stories, to communicate to the listener something that was about the heart of the Father or the ways of living a kingdom life. And I'm sure, like you, one of my favorite parables, if not my favorite parable, is the one about the wayward child or the prodigal child, as it's known. We read about this in Luke chapter 15. Actually, in Luke 15, there's three parables that are connected together to make the same point. Firstly, Jesus speaks of the lost sheep, how the shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one. Then all of a sudden, Jesus begins to talk about the lost coin. There was this lady that had a number of coins. She noticed that one of the coins was missing, so she laid those coins aside, and like the shepherd with the sheep, went after the one that was missing. And then thirdly, he begins to speak about a father who had two children, an older son, a younger son, and how one of the sons went missing, went prodigal, went wayward, but then returned. And the story talks about the restoration of his child to his father's kingdom. Now, in all of these three stories, Jesus is saying the same thing. He's communicating the same thing. What is he communicating? He's communicating the love of the father for the lost. We need to understand that in these three stories, Jesus is communicating how God loves the one who's lost and will always go after and have a heart for the one who's lost. Why was Jesus teaching this? I believe that one of the reasons that Jesus was teaching this was to encourage us to always have a heart for the one who's lost, to always be living to go after the one who's gone astray. <clears throat> but I want to look at this story today, a well-known parable, this parable that was told so powerfully by Jesus, to get to a point or a thought that I'd like to share with you. Now, when we read the story of a prodigal child or a wayward son, as some Bibles term it, we see it's a journey of deception and restoration. It's a real epic story when you begin to imagine this scene taking place. A story of a deception that starts with a small thought, leads to an incredible degeneration and the ruin of a young man. But then the incredible and the most um, important larger part of the storyline, the restoration of his child to his father's house. There's three characters that are key in this parable, in this story. The first one is the father who represents God. The second one is the child, the prodigal child. And in some ways, he represents all of us, doesn't he? Now, if you read the prodigal story and say, well, that stupid kid, that silly kid, why did he do that? In some ways, there's an air of arrogance to that. Because to me, in many ways, we can all relate to that child, the one who didn't get it right, the one who went astray, the one who needed to be restored. And then the third character is the older brother. 
and he's that character with the bad attitude, but can't rejoice at the return of his brother. Who was Jesus speaking of concerning this older brother? Maybe the Pharisee or the Sadducee, the religious ruler, but didn't have a heart for redemption or the celebration of the return of the lost. Now, Jesus was making striking statements with all three of these characters. He was displaying the love of the father, how the father would go beyond what people expected to see his son restored. He really goes into detail concerning the child himself who goes wayward of how destruction, when it begins to kick in, has no ending point and will ruin you even unto death. And then of the attitude of the older brother. <clears throat> now, like I said, this is a story that starts with a thought. And it reveals to us, among other things, the power of a thought. We read about the terrible journey that the wayward child makes into a life of destruction and ruin. But we have to remind ourselves that this journey started with a singular thought. He was in his father's house. He had everything he could ever need. He was rich. He was abundant. He was prosperous. He had servants. Yet this thought came into his world. You're missing out on something. The grass is greener <clears throat> on the other side. And because he didn't deal with that thought, that thought began to germinate until it led to his actions, him actually leaving his father's kingdom in pursuit of these things he thought he was missing. This reminds me always to be careful of the thoughts that I entertain in my mind. Do you know, when I look at some of the great things that the Lord has done through me over the last 30 years, I can track them back to a single thought, a thought that God put in my heart that I allowed to germinate and grow, and it turned into churches and ministries. But sadly, like many of you, I can look at some of my big mistakes in life and look back and go, ah, it started one thought, one thought that I didn't correct, <clears throat> one thought that I didn't address or remove from my thinking. I allowed it to germinate and it created things in my world and the world of others that weren't needed. Let's always be careful to be watching and allowing the Holy Spirit to help us to monitor the thoughts that come into our life. But then we begin to realize that this story was a story of decline. It was a story of realization. It was a story of attitudes. But we see that the young child acts on the thoughts that he's having. And these thoughts cause him to leave his father's household and go off in prodigal living. But we need to understand he wasn't a prodigal child <clears throat> or a wayward child because of things that he did. It was how he'd positioned his life. Before he sinned, before he'd committed wrong acts um, or had drunkenness in his life, he was already prodigal because he was a wayward child. He'd left his father's house and positioned his life somewhere that he shouldn't have been. And we read through what happens. And I want to race through this storyline because I want to get to this point that I believe is relevant to you and me this morning. But we read the story of a prodigal child. He gets this thought. He asks the father for half of his inheritance. <clears throat> he leaves the father's house. He goes off and the Bible says in Luke 15 that he squanders his wealth. Before long, he's broke. He's got nothing. All the good time friends that he'd had had left him. And it actually brings it down to a point that this young man is in a pigsty feeding pigs 
but also eating the food that the pigs were eating. Now, if you understand Jewish culture, Jesus was actually saying it didn't get worse than this. Because for a Jewish boy to be around pigs was one big thing. But for them to be eating the food of pigs, Jesus was underlining everything was now gone from this young man's life. But then we have this incredible moment in Luke 15, <clears throat> where this child that's been so stupid, this prodigal son, has a realization. Wait a moment. What am I doing? I'm living a stupid life. I'm living a ridiculous life. I'm craving the food of pigs. And he begins to remember his father's house. He begins to remember, my servants were treated better than this. The servants in my father's house had a better life than me. And then suddenly out of his realization, he begins to come up with the thoughts and the heart of repentance. I'm going home. I'm going home to my father's house. And he comes up with this incredible story line or this repentant plea within his heart. <clears throat> he says, I'm going to go home to my father's house and I'm going to say, Dad, I've been an idiot. I don't expect me to be a son anymore. But I want to know if you would let me be a slave or a servant in your house. Little does he know that there's no way the father's going to respond and give him what he's asking, because in the father's heart, he'd never stop being his son. But then we suddenly see this prodigal child get up, leave for pigsty, <clears throat> and start his journey home. This teaches us that realisation isn't enough. It's like good intentions when people say to you, oh, I was going to do something for you, but I didn't do it. But hey, it's a thought that counts. Often I sit there and think, is it? And in this storyline, if he would have just had a realization of the state of his life, but not done anything about it, <clears throat> nothing would have changed in his world. But this young guy, he does do something about it. He gets up. <clears throat> he begins to return home. And as he begins to return home, the story begins to unfold that the father sees him. And with great joy, he begins to run towards the child. And the child's rehearsing this speech. Lord, uh, Dad, I've been stupid. I've, I've been silly. Let me be a servant. Let me be a slave. But the father doesn't even give him chance to speak because the father's heart is filled with uh, restoration. Why? Because the father knew and he could see from the countenance and the way that the child was walking all the work that needed to be done had been done. But he knew that his son was repentant. He could see by the way that the child was returning to him that the son had realized what an idiot he'd been. So the father wasn't running out to beat him, but to restore him. I want to pick up this part of the storyline here and start reading from verse 20 of Luke 15. It says, so he got up and he went to his father. <clears throat> but while he was still a long way off, <clears throat> his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and earth. He begins to give this speech. But it's like the father totally ignores him. And he says, but the father said to his servants, he spoke over his speech, quick, Bring me the best robe, <clears throat> put it on him, put a ring on his finger, <clears throat> sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf, kill it, let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead 
and now he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. So he began to celebrate. Then it carries on in the storyline concerning the attitude of the older brother, how the older brother couldn't celebrate with the return of his younger brother and how then Jesus makes a point about that bad attitude. But I want to zoom in again on this moment of the son's return. Suddenly he comes back and the father puts a robe on him and he puts a ring on his finger and he puts shoes on his feet, <clears throat> totally restoring this young man and brings him into a celebration and everybody's cheering, everybody's celebrating the return of this lost son to the father's kingdom, apart from the brother who's working on his bad attitude. But I want to throw a thought at you today, a thought that is a good thought, a thought that's a random thought. I want to talk about the morning after. I want to talk about the day after the celebration of the return of his son. Because when I was meditating on these verses earlier, I wondered what it was like for the son the day after the epic moment of his return. That next morning, when he's walking around the kingdom of his father, now officially restored, now no longer wayward, no longer prodigal, but now restored to sonship in this kingdom. I wonder, was he walking around with his head hung low? Or was he walking around with his head now lifted, restored? Maybe he could have walked around not being able to get the thought out of his mind. I was an idiot. I don't deserve this. This shouldn't be. I should be a slave. I should be a servant. I shouldn't be a son. Maybe he was looking at the other servants muttering and saying, <clears throat> do you know what that kid did? And building his identity on the opinion of others. Or maybe... He was walking around with his head high saying, yes, I was a fool. Yes, I was an idiot, but I've just experienced the love of my father, the mercy of my father and the grace of my father. And by the mercy and the grace of my father, I have now been fully restored to the position I once had. That position I'd lost through my foolishness but a position that's been given back to me because I returned to the Father and his kingdom with a repentant heart. <clears throat> now, when we think about these things, how he behaved the next day was solely based, I believe, on one thing. And it was on his understanding and his belief concerning what the Father had done for him. Now, this was all, again, not about performance, but position. Previously, what had made him a prodigal child, a wayward son, wasn't the prodigal things that he did, but rather how he'd positioned himself out of the father's house into a far-off place. Now we look at him no longer in a far-off place, but back in his father's house. The father had restored his position now, this is important because when we begin to look at our lives, we understand that this journey of the prodigal child is also our journey too. All of us, the Bible says, like sheep, had gone astray. But we've returned 
to our Savior, our Heavenly Father. And as we've returned, the Father has restored us. And in his restoration, in showing us mercy and giving us grace, like the prodigal child, he's taken us from the position that we once had, wayward, to now being sons and daughters who walk in a righteousness that pleases him. But again, I begin to think, maybe some Christians don't see this side of the story. Maybe even people watching today, you're in the Father's kingdom. <clears throat> you know that God has shown you his mercy and given you his grace, both of these things flowing from his love. But inside of you, you don't fully believe it. So even though you're in the Father's kingdom, you're saved. You still walk around like you're a trespasser. You still walk around thinking, I don't belong here. One moment soon, I'm going to be discovered. Someone's going to throw me out and say, you don't belong. And I want to speak to you today from this story of this wayward child in Luke 15 and say, if you've believed in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ has become the doorway for you out of being wayward back in to being someone who belongs in the Father's house. And God wants to lift your head. God doesn't want you walking around his kingdom feeling like a trespasser, <clears throat> feeling like you don't belong. Rather, he wants to lift your head and he wants to say, begin to live in the good of what I've done. Psalms chapter 3, verse 3, says this of God, he's the lifter of our head. Isn't that beautiful? He's the lifter of our head. Not only is he the one that restores us and takes us from the position of being wayward into the position of being righteous and belonging now in his kingdom, but also he lifts our head and he says, forget your yesterday, forget your mistakes, begin to live in the good of what I've done in your life. <clears throat> so many different symbolisms to this story. We can compare it to the children of Israel and Egypt. We can compare it to this group of Israelis that were once in slavery, but God brought them out of slavery and positioned them in freedom. But so often we see the children of Israel not walking around with freedom in their minds, but rather a desire to return to the slavery they once knew. Sometimes believers can be like that. They can be positioned in the kingdom of God, yet not be walking with freedom in their minds concerning old has gone and new has come. This storyline of the prodigal child is also a story that underlines the reality of us now being in Christ. That there was once a time that we weren't in Christ. We were separated sinners from God's kingdom. But when we believed in Jesus, he positioned us, the Father positioned us in Christ. And now in Christ, God looks at us with no remembrance of the sins of our yesterday. <clears throat> this is an interesting thought, isn't it? Because if we're allowing accusation in our life, we need to understand that God is not the accuser. In Revelations 12, verse 10, we're introduced to the ministry of Satan. And uh, one of the aspects of the ministry of Satan is to constantly accuse the children of God. God isn't accusing you. 
If you've been restored, you're no longer wayward, you're now a part of God's kingdom, that voice in your ear that says you don't belong, you're a trespasser, oh, someone's going to find you out soon, oh, you're going to be removed soon, oh, the father's going to change his mind in a moment and have you kicked out. That's not the voice of God. That's not, not the God, voice of God. It's not the voice of Jesus. It's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's the voice of the accuser of the brethren because he doesn't want you to enjoy the position that you've now got from God in his love, his mercy, and his grace. I want to say to you today, you belong. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, like the prodigal son, you've now returned and God hasn't kept you shut out of his kingdom. Rather, he's flung wide the doors and he's clothed you now with a robe of righteousness. He's placed a ring of sonship on your finger. He's put shoes on your feet to tell all of those around you, this person is not a slave. They're a son, they're a daughter, they're a child of this house. But if you don't change the way you see yourself, that will affect your experience of being in God's kingdom. Now, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that God wants us to now have our, a boldness in our approach to him. God doesn't want us cowering, being afraid of being removed. God wants us, like he says in his word, to now come boldly to get the things we need for our daily life from his hand of grace extended to us. The truth is, God's love has now fully restored us. And God doesn't want us walking around as citizens and sons and daughters of his kingdom, with our heads lowered, ashamed, embarrassed, remembering what we did. No, like it says in Proverbs 3, chapter 3, he's the lifter of our head. He's the one who speaks over us. You're not a trespasser. You belong. You're a son and a daughter of this house. You were once positioned as wayward, separated, but now you're positioned as a righteous person, righteous in my sight, a person who belongs. You know, we used to sing a song not so long ago, and I was thinking of this song as I was getting ready for today, and the words of this song, this chorus that we used to sing was simply this, in my father's house, there's a place for me, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Now we rejoice that the Father has restored us and made us his children, righteous in his sight. But also God wants to go to another level today and encourage your hearts. But not only are you his child now restored in Christ, but you are welcome in the Father's house. In the Father's house, there's a place for you. You're a child of God. Go ahead and lift your head. Don't listen to the accusations of an enemy who's not for you. Don't listen to the opinions of people that don't know what God has done for your life. Rather, lift your head, 
Look, we look into the eyes of the Heavenly Father and see that favor that's in his face towards you. You know, when you go to a wedding and you watch the wedding and then you go to the reception afterwards where you celebrate the wedding, if you've been invited, you walk around the tables at the reception and you look for a name tag that says your name. And that's telling you where you sit at the reception. And it says that you've been welcomed, that you belong. You've not sneaked in. I love it that the Bible says that beyond the days of this life we know, there's a banquet, the feast of the Lamb that's going to be in heaven, in the Father's house. And you know what? Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Do you know what I hear when I read those words or what I see when I read those words? But Jesus is walking around his father's house and he's finding that place at the banqueting table that's reserved for you. And he's getting your name on a bit of card. He's putting Andy Elms on a bit of card. He's putting your name on a bit of card and he's putting it on the banqueting table so that one day when you arrive in heaven to the great banquet of the Lamb, You'll walk in and there's a place on the table that's got your name written on it. In your father's house, there's a place for you. You're a child of God. Yes, you are. But God wants you to live in this life knowing that you belong in his kingdom, that he's taken you from the kingdom of darkness and brought you now into the kingdom of the son of his love. You don't become a citizen of the father's house when you die and go to heaven. You're a citizen of the father's house. You're a child of the father's house right now. And God wants you to lift your head, rejoice in the mercy and the grace that he's shown you. Rejoice that like the prodigal child, your life is, life is no longer separate you've been restored to the father's house but right now begin to walk around in God's kingdom as someone who belongs you're not a trespasser no one's coming to throw you out the father's restored you so you're restored lift your head begin to sing songs like in the father's house there's a place for me I'm a child of God yes I am yes I am I hope this has encouraged your heart today. But not only has he saved us, but he's wonderfully restored us. We are sons and daughters of the Father's house, restored to him, a people who belong. God bless you. Have an amazing week.